read one portion of scripture from the first verse of the New Testament. It is Matthew chapter 1. And I'd like to stay in the moment that I'm in, but I know that um, there are some other pressing things that are coming and there are exciting things that are going to happen. And if you're a guest here today, I want you to know if you live anywhere in this area and you don't have a place to worship, welcome home. This is a place where your life can be changed and we want you. Amen. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, before we move on, we just I just wanted you to notice the attachments and the connections. These are multiple 14 generations, 14 generations, and another. And these are the attachments and the identifications that we know under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God wanted us to know that Jesus would be connected to the man who was a man of faith who came out from his his own country and by faith followed the voice of God and then connected to David the king the pivot king the house of David and of course from these recognitions also the tribe of Judah which would have been in the customary um, concept of this writing. So, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ. It began with Abraham, the great highlight of David, and then the house um, from which he would come, Jesus Christ. And today I want to just speak about the Messiah. Amen. Uh, turn to someone close by and tell them that they are the most beautiful and handsome person you've seen all day. And then say, but the day's not over. But so far, you're the best looking person I've seen so far. I got you. <laughs> Okay, somebody needs to apologize. Apologize to someone and then you may be seated. Thank you. Some many years ago, now I was in a meeting with a few folks. And one of the men represented um, the Gideon Bible Project. They have spent countless hours and a lot of money, the funds, putting Bibles in hotel rooms all across the nation and in, in fact even beyond in other, other countries. The group also has endeavored to distribute Bibles to various buildings as often as they've had the opportunity. Their work is profound and it's wonderful and it is in, in all... Um, They've done more than just a noble deed. They've helped to spread 
um, the written word of God. I, I give them great honor for their work's sake. The full Bibles, the Old and New Testament, which is the complete Bible, uh, they are routinely given away and, and they're placed in different areas. They, they really would like to have hardback um, versions of those Bibles. The, the softbacks are easier, but the hardbacks, they, they seem to weather a little longer. But the pocket-sized New Testament uh, is really one of their number one distributed Bibles of all times. It's a little pocket-sized, and, and they're distinctive because the green-covered uh, pocket-sized New Testament is the Bible of choice. For whatever reason, uh, thousands of them in that particular color have been distributed. Green, small green, New Testament uh, Bibles, pocket-sized Bibles have been given out. Now, um, I used to be able to read fine print, uh, and and I and I I I would like I now I um, feel it, um, and and the intent of it, I, I I have to have some you know reading glasses to read the fine print, and some of those Bibles are kind of like fine print Bibles, but. In, in this particular case, um, uh, those Bibles and the print of those Bibles, um, they're, they are readable, but they're not large print. And so, because all of these New Testaments have been given out, thousands and hundreds of thousands, uh, it stands to reason that people, most people would uh, rather read the New Testament even, uh, even if they have the full uh, version of Old and New. And just in turning to that opening line, if you had one of those New Testament pocket Bibles, or if you were the common reader, you might not start in the Old Testament. You might find the storyline in the New Testament, and that would, by virtue of it, would just dictate that you would open up to Matthew chapter 1. The first line, however, might cause a little misnomer concerning the name. Just turning to that, that chapter, Matthew 1 and 1, we read of the genealogy of Jesus. It's a long list of his family tree, but that first line uh, might not register as to what it really means. It reads, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ. But the scholars which offered translations, they assume that we would know that an article was left out uh, which would have or could have separated the names or the designations. It, it probably more justly written, Jesus the Christ. But it reads, Jesus Christ. Now, Matthew is going to write and he'll give a little bit better clarification later on in his self-titled gospel. He'll write in Matthew 16 and 20. And this is taken in stride of, uh, of, a, of, a, of an instance. Then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was, here it is, Jesus the Christ. 
So in the first chapter, in the first verse, the article is left out. But later on we know, and we can know now, that, that there is a separation and it's widely known or assumed that the reader would, would understand that. And the reason is that the title, Christ, actually means Messiah. Jesus is his name, and Christ, or the Christ, the Messiah, is his designation. His designation is not just Messiah, but it also means the Savior, the Redeemer, Deliverer, the Restorer. And in that designation lies this deep belief that the Messiah would, in fact, come to restore. He would restore Israel as a nation. He would restore people as individuals. He would restore families. He would restore health and life. He would return what would have been or what was lost. Jesus, the Messiah. Jesus, the Christ. So when we read these two words together, the name and the designation, Jesus Christ. We are reading that, in fact, Jesus is the Savior, that Jesus, the Messiah, the Messiah. Now, the Jewish people believe in the Messiah, but they do not yet believe that Jesus was and is the Messiah. There will come a day when the, when the shadow will be removed and their eyes will be enlightened and they will know what we already know. When I stand at the western wall and make my way as close as I can and pray or seek God, I'm standing next to many, many Jewish men, Hasidic Jews, very conservative Jewish men who have dedicated their lives for prayer, for constant prayer in ritual. They're praying for the Messiah to come the first time. I'm praying that he would come the second. Amen. But I know him. And I know his name. His name is Jesus. Jesus the Christ. Jesus the Messiah. The last name of a person is their surname. And surnames have multiple different origins. And some, depending on the country, you might have two surnames. That would denote the village or the country or the area that you're from. The surname was often taken by the territory that you originated or, or maybe even the city. It might have even been handed down from other sources or maybe uh, it, was, it was changed a little bit to sound differently just to distinguish family trees and family lineages. Sometimes the surname came from your occupation, what you were, a smith, if you are a smith in here. That was actually a trade. You were a smith. Not, not by surname necessarily, but, but because you were good working with your hands. And there's multiple ever, other designations of the surname. So when you read Jesus Christ, Christ is not the last name of Jesus. It's not his surname. It's his designation. Um, when you read of him, we ought to read that in fact, he was Jesus of Nazareth or Jesus from Nazareth. But the sur surname is not given in the Bible. He was the son of a carpenter. But once again, there is no biblical uh, revelation of a surname. Just Jesus of Nazareth or the son of Mary. And even though his father was a carpenter and by virtue 
of his earthly father's trade. The Lord also uh, used carpentry uh, in his early life. But the most prominent title was not of his birth or village or occupation. It was not the work of Joseph or that of his own craft. Rather, Jesus was just simply known and would become to know the Messiah, the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the Christ. Now, prophecies were written of, of the Messiah in I- Isaiah seven fourteen. Many, many years before Jesus was born, the prophet said, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Those are the exact same words that Gabriel gave in Matthew chapter 1. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, the prophet said, But thou, Bethlehem, Ephratah, Though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. The birth of Jesus Christ, the title, the designation of the Messiah would come about. It was a thousand-year-old prophecies. And in those days, those many, many days, when a father was near his, his last moment of time, when he lay on his deathbed, or when his eyes grew weak or feeble, he would often bring his sons together, his children, and he would, he would give them a blessing, a verbal blessing. These were very important. We know that Isaac gave his son a blessing. He spoke a blessing over Jacob, and, and Esau was late Esau missed the blessing. He cried out if there was one more that could be spoken over him. Because the spoken blessing of the scripture, the spoken blessing materialized into actual tangible blessings to speak the word out of your mouth. And when, when Jacob uh, gathered his 12 sons together, he made declarations over them. Not every, not every declared Word that Jacob gave his sons were good and healthy. He described what they had done in their life. Some of them were unsavory. But when he came to Judah, when he began to speak about Judah, one of his sons, he turned to Judah and spoke about the coming Messiah and that that Messiah from the house of Judah would be the Messiah, this king. He said, and I quote, Judah, thou art he whom thy brethren shall praise. Thy hand shall be in the neck of thine enemies. Thy father's children shall bow down before thee. Judah is a lion's whelp from the prey, my son. Thou art gone up. He stooped down. He, he, he couched as a lion and as an old lion. Who shall rouse him up? The scepter, here's a kingship, shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come. And unto him shall the gathering of the people be. And the list goes on and on. Numbers 24. And I would paraphrase through that chapter. I see him, but not now, the writer says. I behold him, but not near. He's somewhere in the future. And and Numbers writes, A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. A ruler out of Jacob. Psalm chapter 60. Judah is my scepter. Psalm chapter 2. You are my son. You will rule over them with an iron scepter. 
The Old Testament speaks of the king, a ruler, the authority of the nation. He was to be the savior, redeemer, deliverer, the restorer for Israel. He is the Messiah. They needed to know one thing. They needed to know that Jesus was the Messiah. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the line of separation between us and every other religion and every other concept of the world. That Jesus, the Christ, is the Messiah. That's what separates us. It's not function. not buildings. It, it, it probably isn't really music unless you consider the lyrics. What separates you and everyone else in the world is the recognition and, and the point that you would declare that Jesus is the Messiah. That's right. You've got to be able to declare that. But once you say it, then there's another step. You have to do something about that. Jesus gathers all of his disciples together. He's talking to them. He, he inquires of the rumors. And he says, what's everyone talking about? Who do men say that I am? And Peter is the spokesman. It could very well be that Peter is the oldest among the twelve. And Peter said, well, Lord, some folks say that you are a teacher. And some say that you are, you are the prophet Elijah. And some say um, uh, that you are a, a distinct man, uh, but, uh, but there's many different designations for you. And then the Lord asked, but who do you say that I am? And Peter said, thou art the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, nobody gave you this revelation but my father which is in heaven because there comes a moment when you have to have a revelation from God that Jesus is the Messiah and you have to be able to speak it out of your mouth now I can tell you that he is and I can share that but there comes a moment when you have to have a private audience with the Lord God Almighty and you have to ask him who are you Lord and he needs to say who he is to you amen this is a this is a, a line of demarcation. If you're, if you're looking in the scripture and you're following through the scripture in, in, in the moment of it when the Lord is taken by night and he's captured, he's bound, he's beaten, he's brought into the house of Caiaphas, the high priest, and, and the Sanhedrin is there. All of these uh, priestly men are there and, and the Pharisees are there. They brought witnesses against the Lord. If you're reading that in the book of Mark chapter 14, they brought false witnesses. And then their false witnesses agreed together. Just because someone agrees on whatever particular subject doesn't mean it's true. The whole group can be wrong. And there arose false witnesses and they said, We heard he was going to destroy the temple. And no one could understand what he was saying. But then as they began to talk, it broke down from verse 56 to verse 59. The Bible says in verse 56, their witnesses agreed, but then they didn't agree together. And then all of a sudden, there's a breakdown of, of the agreement. No one could really get their story straight. They started out in unity, but then they blew it up. And the high priest, they're, they're asking the Lord, and he, he's not answering. And finally... They want him to defend himself. In verse 61, 
the Bible says this, but he held his peace and answered nothing. And again, they asked him and they said, art thou the Christ, the son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am. You're going to see me sitting on the right hand of power. Because of that, they tore their clothes in front of everyone. They ripped their garments. And they said, we don't need any other further witnesses. We've heard the blasphemy. Anything but that claim. You can say anything you want, but you cannot declare yourself the Messiah. Because that was the most pivotal claim of them all. They could not bring themselves to believe it. All the miracles and wonders, they, they couldn't deny them as much as they tried. Anything, you can say anything, you can do anything, but you cannot declare yourself the Messiah. Because if you declare yourself the Messiah, it completely eradicates and destroys everything that we are trying to do. There it is. Because when you say that he is the Messiah, the deliverer, the restorer, the savior, it dictates the way you live. It puts you in a path of his design. It changes your mindset. If Jesus is your Christ, your Lord, your Messiah, it means that subjectivism can no longer be part and parcel of your mindset. Now, he's the king. The Messiah holds the scepter. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. Anything but Messiah. They tried to tamp him down. All the miracle power that they had, they tried to tamp him down. And in John chapter 9, a blind man receives his sight and, and they're arguing with everyone and, and, and they bring the blind man's parents and, and they're wilting because they don't, they don't want to get in trouble. They know the power of the Pharisees and, and they're afraid of them. They're afraid of the hierarchy and the chain. And the Pharisees are angry because if Jesus is the Messiah, he will destroy their livelihood. He'll take from them all that they had built up. Finally, they questioned the man that was blind. And they said, we know that he's not of God. We know he's doing this miracle power by Beelzebub, by the devil. And they could not disprove the Lord. They sought to have help. They wanted the blind man. They wanted to enlist the man who was just healed to help them. And the blind man said, well, here's what I, here's what I can say. I don't know if Jesus is a sinner whether he be a sinner or no, I don't know. I cannot tell you about his integrity or his character. I can't vouch for his personal validity or the origin of how Jesus came to be. All I can say is that I was blind and now I see. All I know, I don't know everything about him. I do know this. He saved me. I know he brought back my sight. I know he restored a vision. I was born blind, but something happened to me. He gave me something that no one else could give me. So argue if you want about who he is and where he came from. I won't need someone to walk me through the street anymore. I don't need someone to lead me by the hand. I don't need anyone to care for me. I was blind. He restored me. He made me like I was meant to be. That is the Messiah. The Messiah is the one who takes you from where you used to be and makes you into the man or the woman you are meant to be. The Messiah is the very one who restores you. You say, well, I, I never did see. I never did understand. He'll give you an enlightenment and an understanding that you never had heretofore because he is the Messiah and the King and he is the Lord. And if I declare him to be the Messiah, then I know something has to change in my life. And he gives me back all that I have lost. The Messiah. Here's Isaiah's writing. For unto us a child is born. 
and unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Jesus. Counselor Jesus. The Mighty God Jesus. The Everlasting Father Jesus. The Prince of Peace Jesus. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end Jesus. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forevermore the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. All of that wrapped around Jesus the Messiah. All that could be lost now can be found. All that could be gone now can be restored. Savior, Redeemer, Deliverer, Restore. That is the Messiah. The birth of the Messiah is the long-awaited hope. And I don't want to dash anyone's opinions or, or, or preconceived ideas. It's very, very unlikely, probably not at all, that Jesus was born on December the 25th. It's, I read just a little clip and it said from somebody, I know it was a, a satire. It said, isn't it interesting that, that Christmas and the birth of Jesus happened on the same day? I don't know. Just, I don't want to mess you up. I, 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 it probably wasn't December the 25th. It's, it's highly unlikely. But the reason why we pause on the day and why the world, even though there are so many antagonists against him, is that he made a claim to be the redeemer of the world. He stands alone while all the other leaders can join together. He stands alone. He declares himself to be the I am that I am. He won't share space. He won't share your opinions. Because if he's going to be the Lord of all, that means he's the only one. He is unique. He is the only. He is exclusive. He is Jesus, the Messiah. He says, listen... No one else matters. I am the one. I'm going to sit on the throne. I'm going to be the Lord. I'm going to have the scepter in my hand. And I'm going to be the king of all kings. That's the Messiah. And Isaiah wrote of him. His name, which is now the attribute of him. He will be the counselor. And I know that we need counseling. And I know that we need help. And I know that we need friends. And I know that we need family. But Jesus is your counselor. Jesus is the one you can talk to. He talks to us. He's the one who speaks back to me. He's the one I can share all of my trouble with. And he's never been wrong in his counseling. He's my peace. The Lord is your peace. Tell me everybody, anyone, how much does peace cost? Tell me if you could buy peace, what would it be worth to you? Because there's a lot of anxiety today. There's a lot of fear. There's a lot of anger. What does peace cost? How about peace on Christmas? You know, peace on earth, goodwill to men, that'd be nice. How about just peace in the living room? How about peace at the kitchen table? What would you like for Christmas? I'd like from peace. A piece of cake? No. piece of pie? No. P-E-A-C-E. I'd like that. How much does that cost? When, when you walk in a room and you don't feel like, man, there's something wrong here. Have you ever been, have you ever walked in on a conversation? It wasn't necessarily about you, but you just feel like something's going on. I don't know what it is. That's the absence of peace. 
The Bible says he's the prince of all peace. The Bible says that the comforter, which is the spirit of him, when the comforter comes, he'll teach you, he'll guide you, and the comforter will be your peace that surpasses all understanding. So even when I can't think and understand what's going on, the comforter, the spirit of the Lord becomes the peace for my life. The attribute of his, of his name, the Messiah, Jesus, is peace. He is wonderful. He is wonderful. Isaiah 9, 6, wonderful. I started looking it up. I, I found all the, all the Bible helps, all the Hebrew stuff, the Greek things, all of it. I want to know etymology. I wanted to know what's the word wonderful mean. And I, as I went through all of it, this is, the, this is what all of the writers say the word wonderful means. It means wonderful. Man, that was deep. It means when his name should be called wonderful, it actually means in the Greek, wonderful. Man, is the Lord, what is the Lord to you? He is wonderful. We, when I was growing up, we used to sing, wonderful, wonderful. Jesus is to me. Counselor, mighty God. The Prince of Peace is he. Saving me, keeping me from all sin and shame. Wonderful. My Redeemer, praise his name. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. I wanted to say his, his attribute to me, his name is wonderful. When I think about the Messiah, I say wonderful. It's wonderful. When you see him coming in the clouds of glory, I don't know what we're going to say, but I just want to say wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Is all of that and it's everything we expect him to be. I want to just end with this. I don't want it to be um, self-deprecating here too much. I want to leave feeling good about myself. <laughs> uh, the pulpit's a bad place to stand. I'm, I... <laughs> He's never stopped being who he is. He's never let anyone down. He's never failed on one of his promises, not one. I have. <laughs> I've disappointed a lot of people. I didn't want to. I thought I wouldn't, but I did. And I have a few folks that they like to point that out. That's their spiritual gift. I know. It's, a, it's not all right, but it's just the fact. The fact is, you probably will not always be who you said you would be. We'll probably not always be the person we said we would be. In fact, sometimes when there's a disclaimer before there's a statement, it means that the statement is false. Like the lady who said, now I'm not into drama. Just go with the first one. Yes, you are. And here comes the theater. I'm not easily offended, but I don't like to get anyone's business, but you're about to. I don't want to hurt your feelings, but here it comes. Whatever the disclaimer is, it usually means that's exactly what I'm going to do. Because what we're trying to do is we're trying to remove ourselves from the things we're about to say. And we disappoint each other. And and Paul even said, thank God for Paul. I'm so grateful. Thank you, Paul. 
He said, everything I wanted to do, I, I don't do. Things I didn't want to do, those are the things I end up doing. When I went to do good, that's what Paul said. He wrote most of your New Testament. Things, every time I went to do good, evil was present with me. That's what Paul said. Paul said, I have intentions. I don't follow through with all of my intentions. I have it in my heart, but I don't always have it in my hands. (laughs) And the failure of humanity continues over and over again. But Jesus, Hebrews 13, Jesus, let me, if I can put it this way, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the same. He is the same yesterday. He is the same today and he is the same forever. I won't talk about yesterday. I'm going to tell you what, whatever he was yesterday, he's the same. See, you've got a lot of yesterdays in your path and your yesterdays were good. He blessed you. He helped you. He brought you out. He's never going to stop bringing you out. He's never going to stop being good to you because yesterday, that's how good he was. You can't separate yesterday, today, and forever. They're all the same. So whatever happened yesterday, anyone know that the Lord brought you out yesterday? Can anyone testify about the goodness of God yesterday? Now, yesterday might have been 10 years ago or 15 years ago or last year. But yesterday, when the Lord was good to you, he was the same. And whatever he was yesterday, he is the same today. And if you feel down and low, he is going to, the same Messiah is going to be with you tomorrow and the next day and the day after that. He is the same Jesus Christ. He's never going to change. You can expect him to be exactly who he is. Come on, somebody stand to your feet and just thank him for being the great Messiah that he is. The restorer and lifter of my head and my life. Jesus. 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 Speak his name, Jesus. Now say it, my Messiah. My deliverer. Come on, someone say, my deliverer. Would you pray, Lord, be my counselor? Lord, I I need someone to talk to, and I need you to talk back to me somehow, Lord. Can you speak to my heart? Come on, someone say, you are wonderful. Just worship the wonderful God that you serve, wonderful. Someone ought to put him in an exclusive throne. There's no one else on that throne but Jesus, the Messiah, my Messiah. Messiah. Oh, Jesus, my Messiah, my Christ. I need to tell someone about your tomorrow because your tomorrow is uncertain. Your tomorrow is unknown to you. But just base your tomorrow on what the Lord has been and who He is today. And while I can't predict your path, here's what I can say. The Lord's going to be with you tomorrow and forever just like He's been with you yesterday and today. If he is your Messiah, if he's been your deliverer and your healer and your savior, he will continue to be that because he's decided for our sake to be predictable. My assurance is not in government. It's not in a bank account. It's not in my health. 
as much as I had hoped, it's not in other people. It's certainly not in myself. But I've got an assurance in Jesus Christ. I needed that. I don't need it just on Christmas or a holiday. I need Jesus to be the same in an ever-shifting world. I needed something, and I need something today to be constant and secure. Probably what distinguishes this house from maybe, I don't know, other places, and I'm not a good judge of that because I'm not looking around. All I know is that in this house, Jesus is the king. He holds the scepter. He's the Lord of lords. He's the king eternal. Amen. I'm just inviting you just to open up your heart to God right now. Maybe you can just invite him to be the Lord of your life. Someone ought to just say, you are my Messiah. And I'm ready if there's a baptism taking place today, and I know there is. I'm ready, Brother Mike, if you want to come, get ready for baptism. I just give you just five minutes just to, five or six, seven minutes just to magnify the Messiah here today. Yes, Lord, thank you for being my Savior. Come on, you're praying now. You might even close your eyes and lift up your hands. Out of your mouth, that's right. Just seek him today. Declare him to your own soul.